And we are live. Live. You know it. We're oh. back. We're back, baby. We're back. Genesis 3-9. That's Genesis 39. Back right. at you. That's right. We're back on Joseph again. He's going to get uh, into some unfortunate circumstances today. Looking That's forward to talking right. about it. Yes, we are back. Genesis yep. 39. This is an epic, epic chapter. Legendary chapter. Yep. Okay, this might be top three favorite chapters in the Bible for me. Might be. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You better have a lot of good stuff to say then. That's what I, I'm expecting. <laughs> I took a lot of notes. Good. I took a lot of notes good. during my study time. All right. Well, if it's one of your top three favorite chapters uh, and you let God down, you're a chump, man. Uh, you better have some really good stuff to say. This is all true. Yeah. Genesis 39. <laughs> Justin, do you have any quick, uh, do you have anything before we get going into, into the no. chapter? Okay. Verse one, you get, you get it started. Okay. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. So he became a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he owned. And it came about that from that, from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left Joseph in charge of everything that he owned. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. So a couple things to note. Joseph is ultimately sold to this man named Potiphar, which is something we also learn in chapter 37. And God is with Joseph and makes Joseph very successful. It says this actually four times in this chapter that the Lord was with Joseph. Verse two, it says, and the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Verse three, now his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper in his hands. And then in verse 20, 21 and 23, which we'll get to a little bit later, but ultimately this, we, we see very clearly why Joseph was so successful god ultimately was with joseph and does that mean that joseph you know didn't do anything he was a, la a lazy bum that you know in in that engaged in sin all the time no we see quite the opposite of that so i'm not saying joseph didn't have to do anything but it's very clear that his success is credited to God, I would just be very cautious for everybody who does see success at some point. Um, just be very aware of ultimately where that success ultimately comes from. Who gave you the skills that you have? Who gave you the blessings that you have? Who gave you the motivation 
to be successful that you ultimately have, I would ultimately believe that you would have to credit that all to God, whether you're a Christian or not, for that matter. Yes. Yeah, so um, I wanted to talk about some of the historical setting uh, for what we're reading right now. So it's believed that Joseph entered uh, into Egypt with the slave traders around 1899 BC. Um, Joseph's lifetime seems to overlap the 12th dynasty of the Middle Kingdom, Egypt. <clears throat> however, dating the different dynasties in Egypt um, is a big challenge because of how far back it was. And so scholars do have different views on this. But where, here, where I sit right now is that I believe that the Pharaoh at this time, at this point in the story, is Aminemis II. And so uh, Aminemis II ruled from 1929 to 1895 BC. And Aminemis II was a peaceful ruler. He actually improved the economic and agricultural life for Egyptians through strategic political relationships with uh, Western nations or with, with the, the nations of Western Asia. And so this might have helped set the stage for more of a welcomeness to foreigners like Joseph. And so to look now um, on, on who, the, who this guy Potiphar is. So we see Potiphar, first of all, trusted Joseph. He put Joseph in charge of his whole estate. Uh, and we, he know, we know that Potiphar seems to recognize that God uh, blessed Joseph. And so Potiphar, as it says, was a captain of Pharaoh's guard or other translations say Pharaoh's officer. So he appears to be maybe a, a, the head of Pharaoh's palace security or, or some role similar to that. Yeah, and I would just also add, you know, Joseph was just sold into slavery. Uh, not sure how many people would, you know, kind of expect that to be a huge bummer, right? I mean, basically, you no longer have your freedom. You're sold out by your brothers and likely are never going to see your family again. That's a pretty sad, depressing state to be in. I think it's extremely um, impressive that Joseph ultimately, despite these circumstances, didn't um, let you know didn't let this get him down, and ultimately continue to serve and love his boss the way that he did, um, as we see in this chapter. In fact, so much so, and with the Lord's blessing, of course, that he rises to the top of the house. Um, working for his master. All right, let's continue on to the second half of verse six. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife had her eyes on Joseph. And she said, sleep with me. But he refused. And said to his master's wife, look with me here. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put me in charge of all that he owns. There is no one greater in this house than I am. And he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her 
or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the people of the household was there inside. So she grabbed him by his garment, saying, Sleep with me. But he left his garment in her hands and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make fun of us. He came in to sleep with me, and I screamed. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make fun of me. But when I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. All right, so as we see starting off in the second part of verse 6, Joseph was a stud. And uh, Potiphar's wife started trying to seduce him. And so we see that Joseph handled this temptation really well. Um, Potiphar's wife was most likely uh, a very beautiful woman, just the sense that he was, or because he was the captain of the guard. And so, uh, but like I said, we see Joseph deal with this temptation very well. Uh, Joseph knew that adultery is a serious sin. Now, this, this is from definitely his worldview, uh, the biblical worldview of following the one true God. But even during these times in the, the ancient world, uh, adultery was, was illegal. So it, it, was, it was a crime as well, um, just in that the society that he was in. But we see uh, verse 9, he responded uh, to Potiphar's wife by saying that having an adulterous affair with her was not just a sin against his, his master, Potiphar, but also was a sin against God. Right. And, and there's, we need to realize that our sins um, are sins against God and we need to take sin seriously. It's not just something we do that offends someone else. It's, it's a sin against God as well. And also we see that when her advances became more aggressive, so did his refusal. And so something that this story reminds me of is uh, from 1 Corinthians 6.18, where it says, flee from sexual immorality. That's exactly what Joseph did. He fled, right? He ran out the door. He, he ran out of that room, ran out of the house. So after her most aggressive advance, I think she probably felt humiliated by his continuing to deny to have an affair with her. And maybe that's what motivated her to accuse him of rape in order to get back at him. So Potiphar's wife used the clothing that was left behind as part of her dramatic lie. And this was the second time in Joseph's life that his clothing was used as a lie, right? The first time being when his brothers put blood on the, uh, on his coat of many colors and presented it to his father to make it seem like Joseph was dead. And so we see also at the, uh, toward the end of the section that she uses the offensive or, or she uses this, tries to use the phrase offensively, uh, this Hebrew slave in order to devalue Joseph. And then she even went on to put blame on her husband when she said, whom you brought to us. So uh, this is not a good woman. 
Absolutely. Yeah, and Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, her sin um, begins with the eye. We read in verse, second half of verse six, right? Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came about after these events that his master's wife had her eyes on Joseph. So she's clearly lusting after Joseph and the, you know, the way she's doing that is with her eyes, right? She's saying Joseph's a handsome guy. And ultimately, I think we should be very careful with what we see with our eyes. I think it can lead to further temptation, which is exactly what we see here. Uh, Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. Obviously, this is a, the reverse of that, a woman looking lustfully upon a young man. But I think we need to be very careful um, with ultimately what we view. You know, this is this is what I would just call a classic trigger, right? She sees somebody that's handsome and maybe you see somebody that's handsome and you just cut it off there, right? You say, okay, this person's handsome, but clearly I'm married, so I shouldn't have anything to do with this. And so that's where you cut it off, right? You cut it off right there. However, she indulges in this, right? She lets it consume her to the point where she's repeatedly seducing Joseph. I mean, Joseph's, he's saying no, 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 no. I mean, that's, that's insane, right? That's, that's, that's a kind of a, a total boss move, right? Who has the strength and the power to ultimately refuse that type of temptation over and over again? That's like the... To me, that's crazy impressive, you know? Um, so yeah, we see that it, it enters, the sin ultimately enters in through um, her life, kind of through first her vision. I think we should all be very cautious ultimately with what we look at, like I said before. Also, we see Joseph's kind of in a no-win situation. He's a slave. He has to obey his master, but he also has to obey his master's wife. <laughs> so... But he recognizes that the it's it's more evil ultimately to uh, ultimately do what she's asking him to do. And as Justin mentions, he he references God here as well. So he finds himself in an, a really an untenable situation. But he makes the right choice, right? He really thinks about it. I think people can make an excuse. A lot of times we might make an excuse and say, "Hey, you know, someone made me do this or whatever, which way I had to." That's all, you know. That's all big excuse, right? Joseph ultimately thought about this. He made the right move. And Joseph's appearance, you know, I think um, as we see here, you know, I think our, our society makes a really big deal about appearance. Personally, Joseph's one of my favorite characters of the Bible. And that verse didn't even have to exist. Like I could care less if, if Joseph was a handsome dude or not. I just told you why I thought he was super impressive at least one time. But I think we all kind of, well, I think it's clear in the Bible and just in our lives, right? Some people are blessed with beauty and uh, attractiveness, whereas maybe others aren't so much, you know, and, and, but that's okay. Ultimately, I think it's important not to play too much, to place too much emphasis on beauty to begin with. One, we're getting all older. And so um, we're all going to get, you know, ugly eventually. Um, maybe Henry not Justin. Austin. He, he, no, no. <laughs> No, I, I like, we're all getting old. No, it, yeah, I, I like how you did that. Don't worry about it, guys. If you're good looking, don't worry. It's, it'd be it's sad. Fading. You're, you're going to get old. It's fading. It's only yep. fading. I, listen, you're going to look terrible soon enough. 
<laughs> I think a lot of people really have a challenge with this, you know, this, this, you know, uh, I mean, I remember in junior high and high school, right? Like, you know, this, this had more importance on my life. Ultimately though, most people that care about what you look like are, are generally yourself. You know, you, you care the most, your friends typically don't, aren't really going to care. And, uh, God doesn't care. So God, I mean, you can ultimately do a ton for his kingdom. But one of the other things I want to say sometimes, yeah, whenever you're attractive, you can have a huge influence. So long as you don't, you don't, you don't use the influence kind of to serve yourself as opposed to serving God. So I remember going to school thinking, uh, at least my senior year, when I started going to church a little bit more, uh, thinking, man, there's some really popular, cool kids at school. Okay, which I was not. And I remember thinking, man, these people could have a huge influence to the positive and direct people towards God as opposed to directing them towards, you know, partying or other sin lifestyles. Um, Justin, you would know a little bit more about being the cool kid at school. <laughs> no, I, I, I was a hooligan in high school. I was a hooligan. I got a, a school ID to prove it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you do, if you are blessed with attractiveness, I pray and I hope that you ultimately use that to serve God and ultimately don't serve yourself, you know, and get yourself into trouble. Joseph clearly is using, in my opinion, his, his uh, attractiveness ultimately not to uh, gain more opportunities for sexual immorality, but instead, you know, uh, be the leader of a house um at this time yeah so just wanted to say um when we're talking about this story one of the things i'm reminded of is that uh, me and henry used to serve together in an inner city uh ministry with with children and uh, i remember that when we were preparing for our lesson uh one saturday morning uh we both had some level of concern um about this about the story of Joseph, because we like to, we were really excited about teaching the Bible and really helping all the kids understand uh, what was going on in the story. And so I remember on this one, there was some uh, difficulty because we had a broad range of five-year-olds to sometimes high school kids. And then sometimes we would, we would split those groups up and teach the younger kids separately from the older kids. But either way, it was difficult. Um, we, we just, and I remember in our story, we said, well, uh, Potiphar's wife told a bad lie about Joseph. That wasn't true, you know. And uh, I remember I was very concerned because th these kids um, are very interactive. Sometimes it was hard to keep some of the kids quiet through the lesson. But we also, we wanted an interactive experience with the kids. And I was just concerned prior to the lesson. What if one of the kids was like, what was the lie <laughs> that she told? I don't know. Um, uh, you know, I, I didn't have my response exactly ironed out of how I was going to handle that, but I wasn't going to tell kindergartners that she claimed he raped her. Right. So that was um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, I just remember that when I think of this, or when we read this story. Right. Yeah. Just a kind of final couple thoughts here. Um, Joseph, um, he was repeatedly seduced. And I think well, his, repeatedly she repeatedly attempted to, to seduce him. Fair enough. Yeah. Repeatedly attempted to seduce him. She and I think you know she started off with just being close by him in a kind of a compromising position, 
Uh, one of the commentaries I, I read uh, to prepare for this uh, says, note that Potiphar's wife's invitation was for Joseph to lie beside her, verse 10, not to lie with her, the more common phrase that describes sexual intercourse. Evidently, she invited his physical familiarity, which she hoped would ultimately lead to sexual intercourse. And so, uh, which I think that makes a lot of sense because ultimately in verse 10, though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to, to her to lie beside her or be with her. So he's putting barriers in between him and this sexual sin. Brilliant. You know, I think we should all ultimately do that, you know, particularly with, you know, um, you know, sexual sin, right? You know, being alone with a girl in a secluded setting. Does that sound like a good idea if she's not your wife? No, it does not. It sounds like a terrible idea. It sounds like a dangerous idea, Henry. Sounds like a slippery slope. That's right. So, so what? Yeah. What would you, Justin? What would you do if what would what would you do to set a barrier so that so that, that this didn't happen? Great question. Do you mean with if I was in the same situation with Joseph working for a married woman? <laughs> no, no. Or, I'm just talking about like. like how would Girls. you set what what are what are some barriers you so you just wouldn't be alone with her so what would you do maybe meet with her where yeah so if you're just talking about maybe female friends female friends girlfriends all of the above yeah so i i agree with what you said um meet meet with them in, in public settings so like if you you know want to go to a restaurant one-on-one -on -one with them i think that's fine i think it's a fine to only meet them at a restaurant but i agree with what you said about um, meeting in a private setting alone that's not good a, a public setting alone is fine in the sense of like how we define alone meaning that you you're, you don't have other friends of yours there right so if you met with a girl and took a walk through a park right i think that's fine um or met at a restaurant or something like that but it's to where like I don't know if one of you has an apartment to go back to the apartment with just you two. Um, you know, I, I would say that, that that's against my convictions. Um, there's not a specific verse that says that, but it, it, I, I believe that um, doing that leaves room, opens the door to hurt your testimony potentially though. Hurt your testimony and invite a potential. Listen, if you're fine, you're, if you're at a restaurant, right? Nothing's going to happen there, you know? If you invite a girl to your bedroom or to a house that has nobody in it, well, then we 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 have kind of step one into step one to disaster. That's playing with fire, and uh, the I had a mentor tell me once the devil doesn't need much. I don't want to know I, what circumstances he was telling you that. Okay, <laughs> well, I mean, if if you want more devil quotes, Henry, I can give you more. I got more. Son. <laughs> um, yeah. So he's setting up barriers. I would just say, right. So that's number one. Number two, I think another big one is not only sexual normality that in which you perform sexual acts with a with a, someone of the opposite sex, but then also there's a new invention that we have in the last three decades called the internet. And one of the evil things that ultimately came with the internet was pornography. 
Um, pornography existed before then, but now it's just crazy accessible to everybody. So you should have some barriers, right? If this is something that you're ultimately struggling with or something that you uh, fear that someone in your family might struggle with or whatever, there's a lot of really great resources available to prevent this from ever happening. Pornography is absolutely life-destroying, okay? Pornography is horrible. If you do not do some research on how to get this stuff out of your life or out of you know your close ones lives then you're missing the boat because statistics say like a bunch of people are using it right so especially a lot of people in the church too and so um strive21.com <laughs> just gonna throw it in there strive21.com strive21.com I'm just saying that's a great resource. It's 21 days of kind of sobriety from pornography. There's a lot of great educational videos that you can learn about why this stuff is absolutely terrible for you and your brain. And there is a underlying Christian message associated with it. I will say that the guy who leads it up, he is Catholic. So if you're not Catholic, you might hear a couple of Catholic uh, things in here, but 99% of it has nothing to do with specifically Catholicism, okay? Most of it has to do with uh, just quitting pornography, why it's bad, you know, some of the science behind it, and more of a kind of a general appeal to Christianity as well. It's kind of a combination of those two. Also, as you were talking about safeguards or boundaries, um, the Covenant Eyes, if you go to covenanteyes.com, that's a great one. You can install it on your computer, and uh, it, it can function as kind of letting an accountability partner know what your internet searches are. And it also has filters to even prevent you from, if you search a certain uh, topic you shouldn't be searching, it just won't, it'll tell you these search results were blocked. And so um, Covenant Eyes is an effective uh, barrier as well. Yeah. Of course, we talked about accountability partners as well. That's uh, hugely effective as well. So just doing a lot of research on this super crazy important. If, you, if you're watching pornography right now and you don't think it's a big deal, you couldn't be more wrong. Your brain, your relationship with God, your testimony, so many things are going to... Your, your relationship with your future wife, crazy, crazy, crazy bad evil thing that's going to melt your brain. So, um, yeah. Anyways. Yep. Justin, do you want to read verse 19? Yes, I do. Now, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden of the prison. And the warden of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison, so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. The warden of the prison did not supervise anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and the Lord made whatever he did prosper. So here we see again, um, the Bible specifically saying why Joseph was so successful in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. And in verse 23, because the Lord was with him. I mean, so it is made abundantly clear 
as much as I'm super stoked about Joseph, right? It's not like Joseph was this like crazy, amazing, unique person that none of us else can, you know, ever, you know, come close to him, right? He was uh, create, you know, ultimately uh, created by God, just like all of us ultimately were through our parents and then so Adam and Eve and parents and so on. And so, but yeah, we got to give, we got to give credit to God and all the success. Um, obviously Joseph's now in prison now. And so with Joseph being in prison, we, we learned that was ultimately because Potiphar's wife, her pride ultimately got hurt and she told a lie about Joseph. Joseph wasn't ultimately killed. He was just at the prison and theological scholars think this is because Potiphar probably, probably Potiphar had a lot of respect for Joseph, right? He, they, he saw Joseph's character day in, day out. He put him in head of all of his house. My guess is that Potiphar's thinking, man, this is really out of Joseph's normal character, right? He probably had a little doubt in his mind, like, did Joseph actually do this? I wonder if he questioned his, his wife as to whether he actually did this or not. Because if he actually did to attempt to rape her, seems that he would just ultimately kill the guy over it, right? But instead, he's ultimately put in prison. And so, and I'll just add one more thing. Joseph is very, he just remains faithful, right? This is the second time that something terrible has happened to him. You know, he I mean, at least the second time that we know about, right? The first being he sold into slavery by his brothers. He loses his all of his freedom. And then he stays on point, keeps God the center and the focus of his life. We know that from the verse in which he says, verse 9, There is no one in this great house greater than I am, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? So we know that God's ultimately a really big part about how he ultimately makes decisions. And so despite, you know, he could have thrown some big pity party. He could have grown bitter you know, over his circumstance, but it then, but instead he remains faithful, serving God the best he could, serving his boss. He's thrown into prison. So he went from going to the, the head of the house to all the way to the bottom again. And then he, he just, he does it all over again. Right. And so it's just really impressive how faithful Joseph is despite his circumstance. A lot of times, right. When something bad happens, I think we immediately think, Hey, this is a bad thing. This is 100% a negative thing. I'm upset about this. Maybe you become bitter about this. As you get older, right? Me and, Je me and Justin, you see people that become bitter about their life circumstances. Instead of like taking the circumstance and ultimately using that circumstance for God and maybe not seeing everything as maybe a bad thing. Maybe there's a bigger purpose here. What they do is they become bitter and they, and they become mad at God and they just, they, they end up wasting years and years of their life just being being angry and upset about whatever which thing. Joseph doesn't do this, and so uh, he sees an opportunity. I think whenever I see him, he sees these these situations, these bad situations, as potentially opportunities, you know, to remain faithful and you know, wondering where, hey, where's God taking? You know, this is kind of an adventure, right? I think I think it's clear, right? This is a huge adventure Joseph's on right now. If everything goes perfect, not much of an adventure, you know? So I just highly recommend, right? Next time something bad happens to you, find an, instead of immediately being upset about it, 
find an opportunity and and I'm preaching to myself here too, because I'm not perfect to this. Find an opportunity to be like, Hmm, I wonder, I wonder what, how God can use me in this situation. You know, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up, Henry, this idea that, um, what did Potiphar believe about the situation? So I know verse 19 said his anger burned, but I have a speculation similar to Henry's that I, I think it's possible that Potiphar didn't actually believe that Joseph tried to rape his wife. I think that his anger may have burned about the situation, that he was losing a great servant and uh, that just he had this situation to deal with at home. And I think that he couldn't, it was kind of one of those deals he had to save face in it. And so he had to do something about it. But I agree, like, this is the captain of, of the guard of Pharaoh. Like, if someone tried to rape his wife, I think he would just kill that person or have them killed. I mean, uh, Potiphar was a powerful person and Egyptian slaves uh, I don't believe would have had any kind of legal rights, legal protective rights in a situation. I mean, Pharaoh wouldn't have cared if Potiphar killed a slave of his for for this reason. So, yeah, I'm with you. I also think that um, I think that most people are smart enough to know what they have at home, right? So I've met people um, that <laughs> I'm I'm not labeling the situation. I've met people that pretty much have communicated and know that they have a bad spouse at home. Right. And so I, I think Potiphar may have known what he had at home. He, I mean, I, I think most people do. And so I think the, uh, I think it was clear that Potiphar trusted Joseph and that's why I put him in charge of all that he did. And so I don't know. It, it's an interesting passage to, to speculate on. But we see that God continued to be with Joseph, even though God allowed this injustice to happen. And God prospered and watched over Joseph while in this prison. <clears throat> and we also see kind of as Henry mentioned in verse 23, this is the fourth time that it said the Lord was with Joseph. And uh, just as part of this prospering and God watching over him, we see that the jailer put Joseph in charge of everything. So also like Henry highlighted about Joseph's faithfulness and, and despite being in these bad situations. So in this chapter, we saw Joseph's faithfulness to God and is responding to temptation correctly, but despite the situation still turned out unfortunate for Joseph. However, we see how these circumstances that are difficult in the short term play out even better in the long term. So in the short term, he got removed, right? He went from, as Henry said, he worked his way after being coming a slave, he worked his way back up uh, to being the head of Potiphar's or in charge of Potiphar's house. Now he goes back down, you know, to being a prisoner. But ultimately, not to jump ahead too much, but ultimately he's going to become second in command underneath Pharaoh. So later on, he's going to be above uh, Potiphar. Also, to kind of address again the historical background part, it is believed at this point in the narrative when Joseph was put into prison, that it was another Pharaoh who had come into power, which was Sesostris II. And he ruled from 1897 to 1878 BC. Yeah. So in summary, Joseph has the right attitude despite his circumstances. He has an attitude to serve God, a faithfulness to serve God, despite, you know, 
what many would deem extremely negative, um, life-altering, horrible things, which they were, but instead of, you know, taking lemons and squeezing them into your eyes, right? He took those lemons and made some lemonade, you know? So I think, I think that's just awesome. <laughs> it's like, come on, who wants to squeeze lemons lemon? in your eyes? <laughs> who wants to squeeze lemon in their eyes? I mean, who wants that? You know, I also, um, so I, I have a lot to learn ultimately from this. Not only that, Joseph, Joseph's determination to eliminate sexual sin in his life is absolutely crazy impressive. Okay. All the barriers he put into place, all the, his attitude on the front end, he knew how serious this was. He knew how wicked of a thing this is and how it was a sin against God. And he did something about it. He took it very, very seriously, right? He put barriers up to keep this ultimately from happening. Listen, if he's never with her or alone with her, he could, this, nothing can ever happen between the two of them. That's, that's, I mean, makes basic logical sense. I think that's brilliant. Now, ultimately he had to go inside the house to do some work and she made something up, but he still had a plan in place. I just think, you know, sexual sin is, uh, obviously one of the worst, you know, sins that we have going on on our planet right now. And I think it all takes every single one of us every single day, especially us as men to take all this very seriously, to do a lot of research, to put a lot of barriers in place. This stuff is going to tear the world apart. It's going to make the world a much, much worse place. It's tearing families apart. You know, it's going to ruin, I mean, your relationship with your future wives or husbands or, you know, whoever's watching this, it's going to ruin that. Isn't that supposed to be like the, one of the most, that, that is supposed to be the most awesome relationship we have on this planet other than our relationship with God. You know, it's like, you want that to be ruined? I don't. Yeah. So one of the big, um, well, I had kind of two takeaways for me, uh, I mean, it's important to preserve our testimony, like Henry was saying, in, in order to be able to serve God. If you really believe that God has a plan for your life, you won't throw it away. You won't throw that opportunity away by giving into a sin that's going to hurt your testimony and disqualify you from serving him in certain ways. Also, um, a second thing I see that I was really inspired by Joseph by is that we saw how just Joseph suffered injustice. But the verses were clear that God was with him that whole time. So just because we experience unjust or bad circumstances does not mean that God's not with us. It means that God is allowing it because it fits with his overarching plan. One of the a story or a story I heard in the past that was very inspirational to me uh, was from some people at Voice the Martyrs. So Voice the Martyrs is a ministry that they serve the underground and persecuted church all over the world. And um, so what they do is, is they work with those hurting churches or, and try to help them with, give them resources to help accomplish their goal of evangelism and discipleship. And so in working with them, 
they hear a lot of amazing stories. So I forgot exactly where this was. I thought it was in Jordan, Africa, where they had they were trying to reach uh, some 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 of the people groups around that area, and so that, that that's a a Muslim concentrated area. And so what they had been doing, they were trying to reach people groups, but what ended up happening is the evangelist ended up getting arrested. And so what happened was, is the evangelist ended up getting arrested, put in prison, and turns out they end up starting having this prison ministry that just blows up. Like all these, all these people in prison are coming to Christ. And so the, the, the church and, and Voice of the Martyrs, who was helping them, they could have never planned out this strategic thing where these guys get arrested, but not killed, put in this prison to get access to those those prisoners to share the gospel. So this church had one plan, right? And that definitely got derailed. And it got derailed in a scary and unfortunate way, right? It, it would be scary to be in an area where there's Muslim animosity and violence toward Christians and you get arrested and put in prison. That would be a scary situation. That is a scary situation. But we see how they used it. I feel like very similar to how, how Joseph did. Not that not saying Joseph started a prison ministry, but this idea, like Henry said, about not being bitter, but by recognizing that God allowed something to happen and to look for that reason. And how can I serve God in this circumstance? Sometimes bad things happen because you're bonehead and you do some dumb stuff, you know? <laughs> I typically look at those situations as consequences to my sin. Uh, but sometimes when something bad happens to you and you you don't really know why it ultimately happened, that's, that could be a huge opportunity. They both could be opportunities. I would just say that. They could both be opportunities, but, um, you know, God had a special plan in Justin's story here. So, um, yeah, so any place that has violence against Christians, that is a dangerous, <laughs> a dangerous place. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Okay. Um, violence is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That is right. Anywhere there's violence going on, that's a dangerous place. <laughs> that's, that, this, is, this is true. This is true. I'm just, I'm just spitting facts around. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm just, just that. That's mainly for you, Justin. That's Thank not. You. That's not for them. That's for you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, guys, really appreciate everyone's. Anybody who's watching this, sorry if we went kind of long on some of these uh, topics. But you needed to hear it. I maybe you did, and maybe you didn't. Let's just take this stuff seriously. <laughs> you know, we need to, Justin. Do we need any? Do we need any more men in the world to just fall over at the first sign of temptation? No, that's weak sauce. That is total weak sauce. That's you know, take it as a take it as a manly um, challenge. Challenge, right? It's like standing in front of a batting cage, you know, letting baseballs hit you in the chest. That's what standing up to temptation is. Don't recommend the baseball deal justin 
Yeah, two, two Bros Bible Study does not endorse or condone anyone going to a <laughs> going to a batting cage standing in front of balls. This is an illustration is- for <laughs> for uh, for for the purpose of getting the point across about standing up to temptation and facing it head on. That's right. That's right. Cool. Bros, happy, hope you all have a burtastic bro day. Uh, and we will bro everybody later. Peace out. Mm. Have a great day. And a blessed day.